theyeshiva.net. I want to tell you a couple of stories about the Apterov of Rami Shua Heshel of Apt. The Apterov, who lived quite long, I think he lived into his 80s, maybe 87, was the Talmud of the Rebbe Reb Melech, Reb Melech and maybe also before that, Reb Shmelk of Niklishburg. And he was the fourth of four very, very famous tzaddikim in Poland. The Choyza of Lublin, the seer of Lublin, the Yitzchak of Lublin, Rabbi Nachman of Rimenov, and Rabbi Stroll of Koznitz. But he survived them all by a whole generation. They passed away in Tovkuf Ayin Hei, 1804 and 05. He passed away in Tovkuf Peizayin. Um, that's, I'm sorry, 1815. He passed away in Tovkuf Peizayin, which is 1822. And as a result, of course, he became the Hasidic Rebbe of all of Polish Jewry, Galician Jewry, because all the other Hasidim who had been split four ways ended up by him. He was a very, very big tzaddik, a very unusual man. He, he used to say that he remembers every one of his prior Gilgals, every one of his early reincarnations he remembers. He had on his back a birthmark in the shape of a diagonal red stripe that ran across his back. And he said that that red stripe he got because he was a sheep in Yaakov Avinu's herds. Yaakov Avinu had many, many sheep. The Apterov, who was a perfect tzaddik, his neshama was one of those sheep. And that he was in fact Maiset. He was the tithe. He was the tenth one. And as the Pesach says, when you give Maiset, you take the tenth sheep and you hit it with a, a whip that's been dipped into a red dye. And that the reason he had a red birthmark in that shape on his back was because he remembers having been a shepsele in Yankov Avinu's herds. Which gives you an idea of what kind of sheep Yaakov was dealing with. He also would say Yom Kippur, he would have him for Yom And when we do the avoider, the special service that the Kohen God does on Yom Kippur, he would, instead of saying, V'kach hoya oimer and V'kach hoya moine, so the Kohen Gadol would say, and so the Kohen Gadol would count, he would say, This is the way I counted, this is the way I said, because he remembered being a Kohen Gadol in a prior Gilgul. His Hanhaga was very interesting. He ate unimaginable amounts of food. Somebody told me he weighed 500 pounds. He ate for 10 men. He was eating incredible volumes of food. Incredible volumes of food. And uh, there's many stories about the Aptarov's eating but it was certainly not Begedet Anushi. He didn't eat like a normal person ate. He ate extraordinary amounts of food. But he was a Tzadah Gomer. Which meant that his food wasn't lost. His food was not uh, enjoying what he was doing. Every bite of food that he ate was, was kachim. It was holy. You know, you may or may not know that in so many Hasidic cultures, Chabad being almost the only exception, there's a phenomenon called Shirayim. Shirayim means you eat the leftovers of a Tzadik. Now where does the expression Shirayim come from? Shirayim comes from Karbonis, that when the Koyanim would eat, the Shirayim, the Shire Karma was left over from what was put on the Mizbech, what the Koyanim ate, had a Kedusha, had a holiness. And Hasidim would take or grab, or whatever the case was, the remaining food of their Rebbe, their Tzaddik, with the understanding that this is Shire Kachim. The food of a Tzaddik is holy. And um, the point is, that it isn't that the tzaddik elevates sparks and transforms darkness into light and so forth. That's what we're supposed to do. 
The point is that when the tzaddik eats, the food itself is holy. It's a whole different kind of food. It's a whole other kind of concept. And there's much to be said about this. I'll just tell you one little interesting word that the Helek Ruzhin Rebbe, Rabbi Saul of Ruzhin, considered himself a Talmud of the Apterov. And the Apterov lived into his 80s. Ruzhin Rebbe passed away, I think, at 56, 54. And uh, the Apterov once said to the Ruzhin Rebbe, Why don't you behave as I do? Why don't you eat instead of don't eat? The Ruzhin Rebbe fasted all the time. So the Ruzhin Rebbe said, I tried, but I can't. Now, how many of us can't eat? <laughs> a tzaddik knows that not eating is easier than eating. For us, obviously, eating is not a problem. For tzaddikim, because they're so godly, they're so in tune with godliness, in fact, it's harder to eat than not to eat. And the Ruzhan Rebbe says, I know how to fast, I don't know how to eat. And the Helikopterov was able to eat. So I want to tell you this. The Apterov was a famous critic of the Alter Rebbe's. A famous, an outspoken opponent of the Alter Rebbe, who's the Kutatele we're reading. And uh, maybe some will feel that it's inappropriate that I tell a story of him, but I, I don't think so. I don't agree at all. And I'm telling the story. Because of his opposition to the Alter Rebbe, and because of his opposition to the whole Derech of Chabad, he believed that Chassidus has to be only by the Tzaddik, not by the ordinary person. While the Alter Rebbe believed that every person must be given the teachings of Hasidis, so that they can inspire themselves. He was critical of the Alter Rebbe. And in the city of Apt, in Galicia, where he lived, there were a handful of Labavitcher Hasidim, Chabad Hasidim, Liadir Hasidim, who had issue with the fact, they were bothered by the fact that the Alter Rebbe had uh, been criticizing, had been outspokenly objecting to the way the Alter behaves. And apparently some of them crossed the line some of them were disrespectful. They answered him back. They heard him speaking out against the Alter Rebbe and they said something to him. Alter Rebbe was a makbid, was critical, and he turned and looked at these Hasidim and he said something which meant in effect that they would uh, have a bitter and quick end. They were of course disturbed because they knew how big a tzaddik the Alter Rebbe was. So they made their way to Lubavitch, to Liadi. And they came to the Alter Rebbe and they said, Rebbe, we defended your cover, and now we're about to lose our lives, you've got to help us out. And they told the Alter Rebbe what had happened, that the Alter Rebbe was uh, criticizing their Rebbe, and they couldn't contain themselves, they, re- they, they, they reacted, they spoke back, the Alter Rebbe got upset, and so forth. So the Alter Rebbe listened to them, and he said to them, Zog me describe me how he behaves. I don't know what they described, but they described... Some of the Anhog of the Apterov, and I'm sure they included in that a description of his eating habits. Dr. Rebbe listened. And Dr. Rebbe said, when they were finished, the following. He says, you don't have to worry about the Kbeda. I'll, I'll remove any ill effect of his words. But don't ever talk back to him again. Ed is another Godel. He's a great man. You don't understand. You're, this, is, this is out of your league. Rabbi Sai. You know, there are smaller people and then there are bigger people. There are people who struggle to be hidden on a very basic level. There are hidden who struggle to be hidden on a more advanced level. And then, of course, you have hidden whose struggles are in the areas of studying Torah and so forth. All of these people share one trait. Struggle. Small struggle, big struggle. Easy struggle, more intense struggle, but struggle. 
There is a phenomenon in Kabbalah and in Jewish tradition and in Jewish reality called the Tzaddik Elgin. A supernal Tzaddik. A higher level of Tzaddik. That's called in some places a Merkava. A Tzaddik Elgin does not struggle. He does not struggle because he lives in the world of light. He's enlightened. He's inspired with godliness. The difference between the Tzaddik Elgin and the ordinary person is not that he's working harder. It's not that he fasts more. It's not that he punishes body more. He doesn't live in a world of struggle. He lives in a world of light. And therefore, in the case of such a category of person, the food he eats is not elevating sparks. It's godly food. And that's why Shirei, Shirayim of a Tzaddik is holy, because anything that comes into his realm, into his possession, is not only appropriate for a Tzaddik to use, it's holy, it's godly. It's a completely different concept. And Tzaddikim, when they eat, their eating is not elevating spark or transforming anything. It's simply bringing godliness into the world. Like the Apostle says, and Hasidus brings it so often, Tzaddik oichal seva nafshe. The food of a Tzaddik feeds his soul, not his body. The food you and I eat hopefully feeds our body in a healthy way, not in an unhealthy way. The food of a Tzaddik feeds the Neshama because it's a completely different concept of food. This is called a Tzaddik Elyin, a higher level of Tzaddik, where everything that is involved in his life is absolutely godly and holy. Another story with another tzaddik is the story of the great and holy Reb Nocham of Chernobyl. The Helik Rebbe Reb Nocham Chernobyler. In the Hayyim Yoyim it is written that Reb Nocham Chernobyler was shoming, was fat, was obese from Memein Yehesh Meirab. He said, Omen Yehesh Meirab, as the Gemara says, Bechol Koichai, with all of his strength, Bechol Kavanosei. And the result of his recitation of Omen Yehesh Meirab was that he was shoming, Bebosser, Begufei, Begashmis. He was fat. Now, when was the last time you got fat from Amun Yehesh We get fat from eating too many slices of pizza, or too many hot dogs. But Reb Nacham Chernobyl was fat from a mitzvah. Like the Gemara says in Gitten. We are, after all, in the three weeks. That when a person hears very, very good news, he makes him fat. He got such delight, such pleasure from the Amen Yehesh Menabah, that he recited that it made him literally shomein begufei begashmis, fat. This doesn't happen because you fast more. This doesn't happen because you daven harder. This doesn't happen because you learn more taita. This happens because you're a merkava, you're tuned into the Abish. This is called tzaddik ilyan. It's a higher level of tzaddik. So you have a story which is brought in the Rebbe's diary, in our Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's Yuman, his diary, his Rishimas that have been published recently. And of course also... It's in the Lukut HaSichas. The, pre- the Rebbe brings it in one of his Lukut HaSichas. That Reb Nochem sat down at a table to have a glass of coffee. Or tea. And they put on a, a container, a canister of milk. And he, he asked for milk. And they told him, there's milk on the table. He says, I don't see any milk. Some of the milk is here. He says, I don't see it. A few minutes later, somebody came running in and announced that the milk that had been placed in front of the Holy Rebbe, Reb Nochem was in fact Cholavakum, was Trefa milk. And of course they were happy to hear that Reb Nacham hadn't taken of the milk, Reb Nacham said he simply didn't see it. They brought him kosher milk, Cholav Yisrael, and he was able to drink it. And Reb Nacham had commented, Cholav Shachalav Yakum Ve'en Yisrael Re'eyu. Milk which is milked by a non-Jew, and a Jew doesn't watch the milking, is Cholavakum, as the halacha is. 
And Anocham Shnabul interpreted Cholav Shachalav Yakum when you have milk, which is Cholav Akum, the Ein Yisrael Re'eyu, a Jew simply doesn't see it. It because it was not kosher, not he didn't drink it. He simply physically was not able to see it. That's not because he fasts more. That because he's tuned in. This is a get like that. This is a whole other kind of a person. Tzadik Elyon. Tzadik Elyon lives in a godly world. There's godly expectation. There's godly sacrifice. There's godly mesinus nefesh. There's godly dedication. There's godly utilization of every moment and so forth and so on. But it's a whole different kind of human being. And one of the ways of describing this new type of human being is using the following form, which is quite familiar from Hasidus, you have it in Hemshech Ayin Beis, from the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab, and of course, his son, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, and our Rebbe, have many times repeated this thought, this idea, this insight, that there are two perspectives. One perspective says, first there is a God, and then there is a world. Elokus Pshitus, God is the truth. Oilam is Bishachus, the fact that there is a world, is to mean novel. Another perspective is, that there is a world is a simple truth. The fact that there is godliness, this is novel to me. And of course, Hasidus says, you could know about God so much. You could believe in God so deeply. But if your premise, if your foundation, if your perspective begins with I am, and then there is a God, comes second, that second will never become what's called Tevedish, never become your reality. While the other person, to whom is a lakus b'pshitas, first of all, there's a God. And then there is a world, this is called the lakus b'pshitas, and elu mezbez chachos. There's for sure God, and the world has to be learned about. This Rabbi is the difference between most Jews, who live in a world of elu mezbez and lakus b'pshitas, chachos. At first there is a world, and then there is God and godliness, and tzadikim gemurim, tzadik elyein, who lives in a world where lakus b'pshitas, and elu mezbez chachos. Now with this introduction, Let's get to the Maimir. The Maimir is based on a puzzle that says, Lehibit Ovan Biyakov, that Hashem sees no sin in Jacob and Yankov Avinu. Velera Omal Biyisrael, he sees no Omal, no exhaustion, no fatigue, no exertion in Israel. And then it says, Havaya Lakov Ime God, who is his own personal God, is constantly with him. Utruas melech boy. Truas melech boy means the sound of the shoifer, of the king, is with him. And our maimed, this is class 4 in this series of classes. Our maimed at this point is exploring the Pasuk. And wishing to understand why the double expression, lahibet oven b'yakev, there's no sin in Jacob. There was no fatigue, there's no exhaustion in Israel. Why these two expressions? And why by Yaakov they say often there's no sin in Jacob, but the exhaustion there could be. And by Yisrael, by Israel it says, there isn't even fatigue. And now of course you should be able to figure out the answer. This is how the Maimir first began four weeks ago. That Yisrael and Yaakov are two types of Jews. Yaakov is a Jew that lives in the real world and struggles to find the Abish in his life. Yisrael is a Jew who lives in a divine and in a godly world. And therefore Yaakov Avinu certainly struggles, but he doesn't fail. And Yisrael, not only does he not fail, he doesn't even struggle later, Omul be Yisrael. And the, the correct reference to understand it are the two stories, and there are many similar stories, that I just shared of what's called in Kabbalah and Hasidus, a tzaddik elyon, not stamat tzaddik, 
but an extraordinary tzaddik, a higher level of tzaddik, who's not only closer to God, they're working harder on himself and pushing himself and breaking himself more, he lives in the world of God Almighty. Now let's begin the Maimit, line 167, regarding the level of Yaakov, my servant. That means levels of Jewish souls that on some level and in some way have to struggle to break out of a hold that the world and worldliness has on them so that they can approach HaKadosh Baruch Hu the Pasuk says, bit of and Yaakov, there are no sins in Jacob in the level of the Neshama called Yaakov healed. Pirosh of and Wamin Mavaramos of means deception and dishonesty. Like a person who has bad thoughts. The word for bad thoughts is oven with an aleph. Which are inappropriate thoughts. Which are the opposite of favorable thoughts that a person gets during the davening. And of course the davening is. Davening is the spiritual heart, emotional connection between the Jew and God Almighty. It involves much holy thought. And when a Yidavan, the Yitzhahara, joins him and puts stumbling blocks in his way by giving him all kinds of distracting thoughts. As it says, that there is oven, there is the equivalent of sin in one's heart, that means thought. That is also inappropriate thought, speech. Like the Apostle says, And is also inappropriate action, because of a poly oven. In other words, life for most of us, whether we want to think something, speak something, or do something, encounter obstacles that are not only from outside of ourselves, but are simply within ourselves. We are a people, we are individuals, we are human beings, that if we want to connect to Hashem, it's Asura, Mikan, Le'ezkadev, Le'sham, I must rip myself away from the, from the hold from the control the world and worldliness has on me, that's A, and tune in, bring myself into a different world, into a different space. When a person davens, and obviously before he davens, he meditates, using his Chabad, in the greatness of God Almighty, it's invariable and it's inevitable. That opposite him will stand. Inappropriate thoughts that come from the other side. Which are the thoughts which are relatively speaking sinful. Inappropriate thoughts. The Alter Rebbe in Tanya chapter 27 talks about a Jew who comes to his Rebbe and complains, Rebbe, I don't want to work anymore. I want my Yetzirah to die. I don't like this business. Every time I want to die my Yetzirah bothers me. And in chapter 28 the Alter Rebbe has even more. That the harder you try to be involved in Ruchnius, the harder you, the Yetzirah tries to stop you. So when are you going to get the most powerful wave of inappropriate thoughts, when you are most spiritually in tune to good and spiritual thoughts. In other words, life's a struggle. In chapter 28, you have a wonderful conversation where the Alter Rebbe is addressing the following question. We know that when a person davens, is supposed to become spiritually in tune. And when a person becomes spiritually in tune, all other noise, all of the background stuff is quieted. And this is a chassid who comes to the Rebbe and says, Rebbe, when I daven, not only are, are the background thoughts and initiatives and, 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 and distractions not quieted, they're intensified. When I daven, I have bigger problems than when I'm not davening. 
So the Al-Tarebbe leads this person through a whole th- series of ideas and steps. And he makes the argument that this is perfectly natural. When two people fight and one tries harder, his opponent equally tries harder. When we daven and we're focusing more with our minds and our hearts and our soul in connecting to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Yetzirah tries harder as well. And although there is a concept that the Yetzirah should be when we daven, the Yetzirah should be asleep. But until you reach that state, until you successfully put the Yetzirah to sleep, not only does he not rest, he tries harder during the davening than at any other time during the day. It's just life. And we all know it. So we're doing good things, but it's if we don't sin, we don't fail. But we have a mullah, we have fatigue, we have toil, we have hard work. God Almighty has empowered every Jew, including the Jew called Yaakov, the level of the heel, the Jew who struggles. The even because of his own strength. Kiddush is always stronger than Klippah. the advantage of light over darkness. All of us know that there is no such thing as a war between light and darkness. When light appears, darkness vanishes. Similarly, according to Tanya chapter 29, and this is quite controversial, there is no such thing as evil. Evil is simply the absence of light. And when you shine light, evil automatically vanishes. So a Jew has been empowered, even if he's the kind of Jew called Yaakov, Jacob. The kind of Jew is Yetzirah bothers him and harasses him and distracts him and burdens him. The Yid's Neshama is strong enough by himself to defeat the Yetzirah like you shine light and darkness vanishes. He says, however, there's a second point. And the second point is, God Almighty goes along with this Jew called Yaakov. And this is the help Yaakov above. Like the Gemara says it, that the only way to be able to always win the Yitzhatev over the Yitzhatev is that Kaddish Baruch Weiz, the Almighty Kaddish Baruch Weiz, and the Yachal, if Hashem wouldn't help us, we wouldn't succeed. So the Neshama of Yaakov by himself has the ability to force good to win and evil to lose. And when you add to that, that Kaddish Baruch Weiz, Hashem helps, it's certainly so. But one thing is not true. It's never going to be easy. And Yankov God Almighty says, I have never seen any evil in Yaakov. To examine Yankov and to disturb him. To the degree that Yaakov will be defeated. Yaakov, if he so desires, will always defeat the Yetzirah. Now you have in Tanya, in many places, including chapter 29, when he talks about the war between the Yetzirah and the Yetzirah, when he makes the point in effect that when you lose to the Yetzirah, you think you lost to a, to a force, to an army of evil. When you're in the Yetzirah, you realize you are fighting with nothing except a figment of your own imagination, of your own fantasy, of your own visualizations. And therefore you have to have Koyach Takya to defeat Klippa, to defeat Liyomazen, but you'll always do it. So the Torah says for most of us, those of us with Yetzirah's, those of us whose life is defined by the struggle, line 175 now, on page, on the, on the, but then there's another category of Jew, that's called, the category of Jewish Nishamas, which I explained to you before, is a reference to Tzadik, not only is there no struggle, there isn't even fatigue, there isn't even toil, Peter, this means, there's a, this is a much higher stage, a much higher step 
a much higher level, which is unique to Yisrael, to higher levels of Jews. does not apply to Yankiv. When it comes to the ordinary Jew, that is called Yaakov Yud of the hill, we say only Lahibit of and Kanal, there is no sin. But it's certainly a struggle. Yankiv Abachinus Av, the Yaakov Avinu struggles. The work is toil and exertion. First of all, to suppress the other side, Klippa. Ulafach, and then second of all, to transform Chasheicha, the darkness, Vachulu, into light. Through davening and doing mitzvahs. But it's all about a struggle. So this Pasuk is describing Lehivet Avam B'Yankiv. Hashem Alakav, Imei Atruas, Melech Bay. And then separately it says, as the Mimer will develop, you'll understand all the details of this Pasuk. And it means to say is, most of us win, but we fight with the Yisra'ara. Some of us are simply above it, we're in a level of godliness. This is a level called Yisra'ara. And you see, if you're following the Mimer throughout, you have just discovered that for Yidin who are called Yisra'ara, the highest kinds of Jews, davening is much less important than for those of us who are called Yaakov. Because davening is called Evid. Avoida. Remember. And Yaakov is called Avdi. Yisrael is called Bain. So I'm sure it's Tzadik Elyon davens. But I, I suppose the way to put it is for Tzadik Elyon, the most important thing is Teira. Oyer Teira is light. The light of Teira. Because davening, he doesn't have a struggle. So the need to daven is very, very different. But we have two kinds of Jews. Some Jews are living in a world of godliness where their material possessions are also godly. And the rest of us are in a fight, are in a struggle. And both categories are represented by this puzzle. Two kinds of souls. Now the Alter Rebbe continues, if you've lost the place, I'm on line 177. But now what the Alter Rebbe does, is he transfers the two types of souls. Instead of being two different people, he transfers the two types of time. The weekdays and Shabbos. And he argues that in each one of us, during the week we struggle, and in Shabbos we're enlightened. So let's pause, and let's talk for a moment about Shabbos. This is one of my favorite little anecdotes. It really is a little anecdote, but I really like it. <laughs> so you're going to hear it, and I hope you'll like it too. The Ragachov are gone, of Yosef Rosen of Ragachov, who was a Ga'an HaGo'inim, he was a legend in his own time, was obsessed with the concept of time. Obsessed. He was completely consumed by the idea of time. The idea that time is made up of parts, as Taylor teaches. And that the idea that during different units in time, there's different kinds of energies, and different kinds of mitzvahs, different kinds of brachas, different kinds of kedusha, and so forth and so on, absolutely fascinated him. He was, he was intrigued by this. So Yid walked into a Leningrad-based medrash, into a shul in Leningrad where the Ragachava lived for a few years. And he sees Ragachava gone sitting, still, very still, in an empty room, on a Shabbos afternoon, leaning forward and staring at something and counting off seconds. One, two. Ragachava gone was a man who never sat still. Ragachava genius was a man who was constantly running around. And here he was sitting so contentedly, so still, so the observer comes closer and he sees the strangest sight. Ragachava is sitting, staring at a little watch and counting the seconds until Shabbos would end. 
28, 27, 26, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. And then he said, Ois, Shabbos is gone. And they got up and he left. Now he couldn't sit anymore. The idea that a second handle on a watch moves forward one half a millimeter and the holiness of Shabbos departs was something that the Ragachava was completely taken by. But of course the idea is that we believe that the holiness of Shabbos is not based on the ritual. But rather the ritual is based on the holiness of Shabbos. As we know from the Hasidists that a whole week God Almighty creates the world on a level of speech which means the world is separate from Him. And Shabbos, God Almighty creates the world in a level of thought, which means that the worlds are one with Him. So just as we have two types of Jews, Tzaddik Elian and the rest of us, all of us have two types of time. A time where we're in a Vochadik state, we're in a, week, a weekday-like state, where we're fighting with the world, with the Yitzhahara, with our eating, with our work, and so forth. And then we all have a Shabbos Dikah state. On the Shabbos Dikah state, we're simply above it. And of course... What happens when Shabbos comes in? To me and to you, nothing happens. Mystically, according to Kabbalah, when Shabbos comes in, the world is raised up from the level of speech, which means separate from Hashem, to the level of thought, where it becomes one with HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself, becomes one with the Yabish. You and I don't feel it, but so is the case. In, in, in the previous Rebbe's, previous Babach Rebbe's letters, he tells a story of the great Goan and Chosset, Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac Halevi Epstein of Homo, who was sent by his Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzadik, to the great and holy Tzadik, Rabbi Saul of Ruzhin, the holy Ruzhin Rebbe. Now Rabbi Isaac Honda was probably, probably, 20 years older than the Tzemach Tzadik. And if he was 20 years older than the Tzemach Tzadik, he was 27 years older than the holy Ruzhin Rebbe, who was 7 years the Tzemach Tzadik's junior. But this old Chassid knew, he's an old Chassid, and this is a young Rebbe, and there was all the respect in the world. And he resolved, Rabbi Isaac Honda did, that during his trip to Rajin, he would watch every single anhaga, every single little detail that he could report back to his Lubavitcher friends, he would pay attention to. And we have in the Chabad tradition a handful of Rajinist stories, all from that one Shabbos. And one of the things that happened during that visit was that it was a Friday afternoon, and the whole Rajinist was sitting in his chair, Gerechet Alulka, smoking a pipe. There was long pipes where the base of the pipe sat on the ground, and the pipe was in his mouth. He was smoking a pipe. And as Shamish, his sexton, walked in with a little tiny gavel and he banged on the table and said, Shabbos! So Rabbi Isaac Homeless says, Habichizen Klor. He says, first of all, the lulka, the pipe fell out of his mouth. Not he spit it out of his mouth, it fell out of his mouth. But then, And he said, I watched this rabbi ascend. I watched him be raised up to a higher level and we remained where we were. Shabbos is holy time. And holy time doesn't only mean we do holy things with it. The energy of the time is holy. And as a consequence of the fact that the energy of the time is holy, we have a holy conduct. We do holy things during that time. This is a very, very special day. When the Rebbe was uh, sitting upstairs at one of the meals of Yom Tif, at the Shabbos and Yom Tif table that had once been the previous Rebbe's, one of the Hasidim said to the Rebbe that he doesn't understand what it means that on Shvi Yishal Pesach, the seventh day of Pesach, was the biggest simcha by the previous Rebbe, the Rebbeim. I was by the Rebbe, I don't remember the Rebbe being the simcha. In fact, I remember the Rebbe crying. 
So the Rebbe said, why are you asking me? You were there yourself. He says, well, I'm asking you because I was there and I didn't experience it. So the previous so the Rebbe said to this chassid, if you didn't experience it, what do you want from me? The Rebbe said to him, and when Shabbos comes and the whole world is relevant to a level of thought, do you feel that or do you not feel that? And if you don't feel it, doesn't mean it's not occurring. They tell a story, but they tell, but they tell a story that the Ablevik, the Rebbe's father, was once walking home on a Friday night with a group of Bachr. And he'd been talking about this idea that on Shabbos the word is on a different level. And one of the boys said to Ablevik, what are you talking about? The sky looks the same on Shabbos as it did on Friday and did on Sunday, it's exactly the same. And they were walking by the Dinepet River. And the Ablevik leaned over and he listened to the waves. And he said, Hest es the waves are different. Now, of course, you and I may not have heard it, but the Blavik heard, on Shabbos, the physical world is godly. It's a different world. Everything is elevated to a level of holiness. All week long, it's ordinary, and you have to struggle with it. Shabbos, everything is in a holy state. Which, of course, is the reason why on Shabbos we eat and sleep. In fact, eating and sleeping is a mitzvah. Because on Shabbos, the food is not something that we're doing. To elevate, the food itself is holy. And the same is true of our sleep. Because Shabbos is a holy time. It's a special time. So the Rebbe says, Just like we said before, Two types of Jews. We're now going to say, Means two types of time. And let's begin to read on line 178. And what all of this means is as follows. That Bechol, Sheishis Yemayam, I said during the six work days, it says in the Post-Commission, that during the six days of the week, you have to work. And there's a Mechilta that Ashbi that supports this idea. That during the week, it's not only a permission to work, it's a mitzvah to work because when a Yid works to make a living, he's elevating physical things. The physical labors that were done, they're not allowed to be done on Shabbos, they were done during the week. To plow and to seed and to cut and so forth. These are all struggles to create panasa. The same is also mirrored when a person davens. During the duration of the six days of a week, when a person davens, the nature of this work is. With the toil of the soul. And the toil of the flesh. Which means the struggle of distracting myself from my own nonsense. And then the struggle of bringing myself into a godly space. To contemplate the greatness of God Almighty. And to give birth to passionate love and fear of God Almighty. And of course, in order to be so spiritually moved, it becomes necessary first to remove all the ill thoughts that come from the animal soul. Because it says in as fire and water cannot cohabit, cannot live together, so can a person not be filled with thoughts of God and thoughts of worldliness. And until she should have only one will for his father, which is in heaven. And of course, for the ordinary person on the ordinary day, this is a huge struggle with the Yetzir Hara. As described in the Zayad, the time that we pray, the time of war. We spoke about this last week. So whole week we're eating, we're going to work, and we're davening, it's all a struggle. It says in Medish, in Sifri Pashas, 
where God says to a Jew, you're worried about what's happening in the other end of the world, you haven't healed what's closest to your own palace. How do you wish to go and conquer other territories, other lands? And of course the name shall is if one has not yet succeeded. To transform his evil midas. To bring down revelations of Godness into himself. Through prayer, into the world. So it begins with self. And just like we said before, Yaakov is a struggling Jew. We're saying now the six days of the week are a struggling time. Okay, therefore, it becomes necessary first. To conquer, to subdue. Goof, even if Shabahamis one's body and animal soul, Ayadat Fila through prayer, and all the unbelievably intense and layered preparations involved in being able to dab. One must construe himself always, as though there were holiness with inside himself. And of course, you know what it says in the end of the minor lush. So Mashiach comes, Mashiach comes, we're going to call Sadiqim holy, not just pure but holy, and we're going to call Sadiqim by God's name, Havaya. Shanem, as the Pasik says, Bikibakadash inids are holy. Because there's a Yiddish in Ishama. But the Yiddish in Ishama is covered over, and therefore, one has to toil and exert his spirit to reveal the godness from within one's own soul which will allow you later to bring godliness into the world. So the key is, the struggle begins with ourselves. And you know, we all love to fix the world. I'm thinking about this a lot lately. One of the problems that our civilization, the American society has, is nobody works on themselves. We're well intentioned, we do good things, but we're fixing the other person's problems. We, we don't. A person wants to be a person, he has to work on himself, on his character, on his maturity, on his humility, on his values. It's a struggle. And only after one succeeds in working on himself can he help other people. And that's what the week is about. It's the struggle of being a human being. And the Rebbe continues and he says, this explains also why also one is not allowed to eat before davening. That's the din. Why not? Until one davening the neshama is only in the nostrils. It hasn't come into the person yet. And one is not yet in a position to bring clarity to his food. And to raise it up, until he finishes davening. So, before davening, you cannot eat because the godliness of your soul is only in your soul. If you eat the food, it will drag you down rather than you raising it up. But after one's davening, the soul expands to encompass the whole of the body. And through this, you shall it becomes subsequently possible to elevate the food to bring clarity to the good by isolating it from evil which is the task of the average Jew to go out into the world and separate good from evil as prayer is a time of war so is eating a time of war like it says in another that bread is eaten by the edge of a sword to fight with the the one shouldn't eat for the sake of lost for the sake of heaven elevate what is good within the food so category number one of Jew is the weekdays 
And during the weekdays we find ourselves in a world which is not directly consistent with the Ratzon of the Ebishto. We have to struggle to do what the Ebishto wants. Says the Rebbe, line 188, now, so that's what happened during the week. In other words, without Bechinus Yankov Avdi, it's the Jew that's called the Ever the slave. His avoid is with a bitle and a submission to the Abishtad. Shaved Zuhu Amovigia Kanalis, very great fatigue, very, great exertion and great effort. Ubachinus is Kafia, which is the notion of bending oneself. Which is the concept of being of Elikim, which you call the Savish Ben Rechel Kal Perek Tazvav. A tzaddik is called Eved Havaye. He's above the struggle, and the Ben is called Eved Elikim. So when you talk about these two types of souls, those that struggle and those that don't, in the context of time, it's the weekdays and Shabbos. So the Rebbe continues on line one ninety nine, and he says, "Avol b'Shabbos." What happens when Shabbos comes? Who bechinas b'shanei seyes tamei. One changes his whole conduct. We've divorced and sent off the Yetzirah. In other words, we've already transformed darkness into the light. One finds himself in a condition of peace and rest and serenity. And as a consequence, not only. Are you succeeding in your avoid? Are you not struggling at all? This is a day of rest. So Yisrael, which now goes on Shabbos, means a condition that is peaceful and harmonious and above the struggle of the week. And for this reason we are called Yisrael on Shabbos. The song to Kael. Kael means the divine attribute of Chesed, which means to reveal. The song that reveals. It's the song of the Midah of Kael. What is Kael? The Ksiv Chesed, El Kala, Yem Chesed reveals Godliness to the, all of the days. I know Shatfil, the Shabbos, the Davening on Shabbos. Like I mentioned to you before very briefly, that in Chesedus we talk about the time of Shabbos, the food of Shabbos, and the prayer of Shabbos. There are three different stages. And each later stage is higher and deeper in Adalit in transforming um, the weekdays into Shabbos and to raising ourselves above the struggle into a world of peace. So he talks now about the davening. Fine, this means Shatfila the Shabbos, the davening of Shabbos, who at Tainu gets a delight, Megidul, from the greatness of God Almighty. Shemes An, Gim Yisrael, Betfila, Jews delight in prayer. Ayadei is Bonanus, Vasabudul, Savai, through contemplation and accessing intellectually the greatness of Hashem, but not in a strugglesome way, but in a harmonious and peaceful and natural way. Like it says in the Apostle, Tamur taste, and you'll see that God is good. And it says, Yismachasol Be'esavachulu, a Jew rejoices in the Nachas that Hashem gets. But now it doesn't mean the Nachas that Hashem gets in transforming darkness into light. He means the Nachas that Hashem gets by Hashem's light shining into the world. So you have Lahibit Oven Be'yakiv, that during the week Jews struggle, but they don't fail. And you have later, Amal Be'esrol, that on Shabbos, not only don't you fail, you don't even have exertion and toil. Line 194. Therefore, in the higher level of the Shabbos, which goes on Shabbos, there isn't even any exertion. There's no exertion whatsoever. The light of Shabbos. Shabbos is called the light. The reason this is so. Why is it that during the week we work so hard to retain and to have a connection to HaKadosh Baruch? 
And on Shabbos it's so much easier. Who? The answer is Kini Shabbos, Eshtiyas Toshe. The Hebrew letters of the word Shabbos, Shin, Beis, Tov, are the same letters of the word Toshe, which means Tshuv. Vayinashabachel, during the week. Chubachinus Yiri, Desachayest, and the life of the person descends into the lesser worlds. Ragleho, Yerdezuchul, the feet of Kedusha fall into Klip. Vahainu, in other words, Yishem Alekim, who a master of the divine name Alekim conceals. Ukenei, the being Shemesh, and Magen Vachul, as Chassidus explains, is based on the Pasuk, that the sun and the shield is like a Vayin Alekim. Lachain, and as a result, Sarachliyas, at Saika, but one cries when he davens. Lots of Minahest, Vachul, to water the concealment and so forth. So a whole week you have a concealment that you have to go past. That's the meaning of the words to correct the concealment and the concealment and the hiddenness. which comes from the divine name nothing should be an obstacle. So a whole week we're struggling. But then comes Shabbos, Avol B'Shabbos, Ksiv, when Shabbos comes, which is the idea of Yisroh, Vayachal, Elikim, Elikim is discontinued. There's no Elikim, there's only Avaya. Pirish, in other words, Sher Kolso, Bechinas, Umadregas, Midas, Atzim, Tzim, Vahester, Hashem decides that he's stopping. The, the idea of contraction and concealment, the Shem Elikim, the divine name Elikim. You bring down the name of God, the Shabbos, which is the Havai. Like it says in Hasidus in the Maimah, So what does it mean that Shabbos is Tshuva, Shabbos, Tashiv? It doesn't mean Tshuva for sins, like I told you before. It means something altogether different. Read it inside. What does it mean that on Shabbos is the day of Tshuva? Of course, in addition to the fact that you have to do Tshuva for Avedis Bepashtos, there is the higher idea. Ali, as the worlds are ascending to a higher space. It's the song of the divine name Kale. Not the song of the divine name Elikim. Because the idea of Shabbos is we go out of the concealment into a state of revelation. So there's no reason to shout at this point when you go out of concealment into the light but to the contrary, the delight that one will have in godliness, min in revelation which is revealed on Shabbos. So just like we said in the beginning of the Maimah, two types of souls, we're now saying two types of time. This is exactly the same idea that we discussed before in the Shomas. The category of soul called Yankiv. And the category of the soul called Yisrael. Meshikosav of the Postak says, Hashem changes Yankiv Avinu's name from Yankiv to Yisrael. And he explains, You managed to defeat Alakim. Alakim means the Malachamovis. And um, um, When you struggled with people, and you were victorious. So Yisrael means a mastery over all kinds of things. Hainu, in other words, that God gives the Yid a dominance, a control. A master, the divine name which conceals. Shalayi, a master that shouldn't hide anymore. This should be revelation of the divine name of Ayah. 
when one has totally defeated the concealment of the Nefesh Bahamas, which is the weekdays. And when Shabbos comes, the Pasuk says, Shabbos is revealed in one soul, the godliness of one, one's own Neshama emerges. As opposed to during the week, Godliness is not revealed in one's person. Rather, the Jew cries out. From the point of his heart, hoping that it will be revealed in him. In a revealed way. It's a mamish revelation. That's what the Pesach is saying. You see, you have to read the Pesach twice. Which means, Hashem sees no sin in Jacob, although he sees struggle. Because Hashem alakov imeh, akadosh baruch wa'ez, Hashem helps him. And through us, melech ba'ez, you'll see in the next shtikl maimet. And then you read it again. He doesn't even see any toil in these, the shamas, who are above the struggle, in this day which is higher than the struggle, which is Shabbos. It doesn't mean that he has a gili of shame alakim. means has a gili of shame avaya. Or through us, melech boy has a second page, as we're going to explain momentarily. Now, move down to line 217. Where we're going to read the last few words in the Pasuk. Through us, melech boy. So here's how you read the Pasuk. The Jewish soul called Yaakov has no sin, but he struggles. The Jewish weak, I guess the pun is that you can spell it also as fatigue, is out there in the world struggling but overcoming. Why? Hashem Elikov, Imei God Almighty is with him, emphasis in Elikov. He's accessing the godliness within himself. Then you have, Leira Amal Bi Yisrael. Yisrael is a higher neshama that's above a struggle, it's pure delight, pure enlightenment. And of course, in time, this is Shabbos. And for him, Havaya Lakav means Havaya. Yud Kevavke is with him. So you're reading the same words, Hashem Lakav Imoy, and in the case of Lehivet Avam Beyankiv, the emphasis is on the word Lakav, and in Leira Amal Bisrael, the emphasis is on Hashem. And then the Pasuk says, Usruas Melech Boy, and the king's Trua is in him. What is Trua? Trua means to break. And true means to be friend. Look inside. The word true has two translations. The first is to destroy, like Treyem B'Shevet Basel. Love and friendship. As Rashi tells us here in Pashas, Now let's think about a king. Well, it's hard to think about kings because we've never met any kings, right? But kings are not just better governors. They're not just hired for life or self-appointed or, or doing what they want. A king is a higher person, according to Torah, according to Hasidus. And the higher person that the king is has a variety of different effects. And in some ways, these two effects are opposites. On the one hand, because a king is such an elevated person, he's able to love everybody, he sees good in everybody. It will be called momentarily inside Be'er Pnei Melachayim. Wherever the king looks, his life. A person is being led away to the gallows. If he comes across the king and the king sees him, he's automatically free. The king's presence represents life. On the other hand, when you're dealing with a the king, there is a certain exactitude, there's a certain judgment, there's a certain 
intolerance for laziness and failure that is very difficult to deal with. When you're close to a great person, his, his kindness is extraordinarily kind. And his judgment is extraordinarily ex- exacting. You know the story about there was a chassid of the Altarebbe who was a contractor. I've told you the story before. He built bridges. And uh, Petersburg, the old Russian capital, is a city built on, on water, on the Neva River. And it has, I think, thousands of bridges. So then, in the 17th or the 18th century, I'm sorry, the 18th or the 19th century, the Tsar, whichever one it was, was interested in commissioning a contractor to build some more bridges. So he brought together a group of contractors, he told them what he wanted, and they bid. They gave offers. And of course, the king, the Tsar, chose which of the contractors were to his liking, and gave him the contract. This Chassid was standing in the presence of the king, thinking, I have this Tsar in my pocket, I'm not impressed by him, I'm not intimidated by him. My king is the Alter Rebbe, my Rebbe. And the Tsar was a very sensitive and smart fellow. And he immediately sensed that in this chassid there was a certain lack of humility, a certain lack of respect and intimidation that everybody else in the room felt. And the king decided he was going to fix this Jew, he was going to teach him a lesson. So he waited a few weeks. And then he sends him a note. That I want to meet you in six months from today in my antechamber, in my throne room. At a particular time, signed by the Tsar, no reasons given, no RSEP, no phone, no callback, just show up. As soon as the Chassid got the letter, he began to think about it. Why does the king want to see me? And he figured that the king must have sensed that he was standing in front of him and thinking, I'm not afraid of this king, he's not my king, my king is the Altareb. And he panicked. Because he understood that the Tsar could behead him, literally, for such an act of disrespect. So he wrote his will and he said goodbye to his family and he arranged his affairs. And he came to his Rebbe, the Alt Rebbe, on the way to Petersburg. And he says, Rebbe, I think this is my last visit. He poured out his heart before his Rebbe and says, Rebbe, this is what happened. I didn't do such a great crime. But the Tsar must have sensed that there was a small element, a small fraction, a small trace of a lack of derecheretz. What should I do? The Alt Rebbe heard him out. And said, Vargasan today, today we should have a good trip, Hashem will help. Which wasn't very encouraging to the Chassid, there was no magic pill. The Chassid arrives in Petersburg, and he's so filled with fear that he could barely carry himself. He comes into the complex of the palace, he makes his way to the actual palace, he's got a pass that allows him through all the gates, till he meets the king in his throne room. Finally walks into a room, it's a perfect circle, and there's no doors. It's just walls. You cannot see where the entrance is because it was designed for purposes of intimidating people. And he stands in the middle of this room, shaking hand and foot. He can hear his, his knees banging against one another and his teeth clattering in his mouth. And he stands for hours in the middle of this room, looking around, wondering where the king is going to come in from. And he was so filled with fear, he doesn't know how he even survived. Eventually, after hours of standing in the middle of this room, the door opens, the Tsar walks in behind him. Of course, he quickly turns around, the Tsar takes one look at him and he sees, now he's respecting me, and he says, this is how you stand in front of a king. Turns around and walks out, the appointment was over. 
He didn't kill him, he didn't punish him, he didn't hurt him. He taught him a lesson. <laughs> this is the power of a king. So there are these two dimensions. On the one hand, the king's presence, because it's above, radiates love to everybody. On the other hand, being near a king, you can get burnt, because the gavura, the judgment, the exactitude is so commanding, so demanding, so perfect that nobody can match up. So how do you explain these two dimensions? And of course the answer is, the law of the positive of the king is who the king is. The judgment and the exactness of the king is when the king governs, the king gets involved. In other words, the king goes away, goes down from that loving fatherly space into a partnership, a collaboration space where he's one of the people governing the country. His standard, his measure is very, very, very exacting. So the words of Truas Melech Bay indicate both things. There's the judgment of the king and there's the love of the king. And of course you understand yourself that the first translation of it, Truas Melech Bay goes along with Lehibet Ovem B'yayinkev Hashem Elekov Imay Emphasis is in Elekov or Truas which means Shvira Melech Bay. And the second translation of Trua is Leira Amal B'Yisrael. In Yisrael there is no toil. Hashem Melakov Ime. Emphasis on the word Hashem. But through us Melach Boy, God is His friend. Let's read it now inside. The Yesh La'oven. The question is, line 218. The Pa'am At occasion we find Iksiv Melach Mishpat. That kings govern with judgment, exactness. Yamidoris, the king, the world stands. Vedin, the Machusadino, the law of the land is the law. Shuma Bechinus Agvuris. In other words, when a human being is very, very great and he gets involved in the world of everybody else, nobody will ever be good enough. His command, his demands are too strong. On the other hand, the palm, alternatively, it says, Be'er Pnei Melech, when one comes in contact with the countenance, the light of the face. Of the Melech Chayim, it automatically gives life. And poi the Malka, the face of the king, the heathen, it shines, it glows. Bebechinas chasadim with a kindness. Which is it? Ach, in the answer is now we do line 220. The Ashbe is The same king has two dimensions. And by the way, part of what we're going to read soon, not right now, but soon, is from the Friday night prayer Kagavna, which we say, and by the way, I recently gave a class. In my new series, I started a new Siddur series in Chabana Flatbush. And Oblina, they will be on my website, insidechasidus.org. I hope you'll be able to find it. I'll advertise it in Mitzvah when I put it up. But I have a class on Kigavna. And we speak about Hashem during the week and Hashem on Shabbos. Kadmalka Yosef al Kursai, when the king sits on his throne. Ikri Melachilot called the supernal king. In other words, he's above the world. And from that perspective, he's all love. When he descends down to his servants, Melech Zuta Ikri is called a lower king. In other words, during the week, when he descends into these worlds, Melech Zuta Ikri is called a smaller king. This involves strength and focus that puts every human being in a position that nobody is good enough. Because the light of the king is diminished. And what you have is the involvement of the king. As the Pesach says, The king operates from closeness with his people, from Gevurah. Ukmejikosah explains at length in many places. Vazai, under those conditions, Bamishpat, Yamid, Vechuli, Dinda, Machusa, Vechuli, there's an exactness and a judgment. 
I want you to know I'm reading this and I'm thinking of our Rebbe. Never find a more loving Rebbe, a more kind Rebbe. And never find a more exacting Rebbe. Read the letters, especially from the earlier years. The Rebbe's standard was impossible to meet. What he expected from his people that he worked with was so much that there was just no way a person could meet it. I saw a letter which literally disturbed me. That ever were alert to Avram Parish is printed in his Sefer, Echotai Avram, in the back, where they had a letter section that the Rebbe wrote to him, Men machtmir farayidin was bezirin. You're making me into a Jew who's always angry, because the Rebbe was not happy. His demands were so much higher and more than his previous Rebbe had demanded. Hasidim didn't even know how to begin to meet them, because the Rebbe didn't see himself as their Rebbe in public service. He saw themselves as their partner. And when you're partnering with a tzaddik, with a melech, there's no way you're going to be good enough. And this same Rebbe, in the very same letter, in the very same Yechidus, is so loving and so kind. It's two dimensions. This is a true Asmelech, the king crushes in his Gehura. And then this true Asmelech, the king loves in his transcendence, in his being above. Mashain came by Shabbos as opposed to on Shabbos Kad Yosef al Kursaya. When the king raises himself to sit on his supernal throne, this is the Kagav. This means as the world ascend to a higher level. That's normally involved in creation. Ascends and becomes one with its source. In Atzilos, in a godly realm, under those conditions, when you see the light of the face of the king, it gives life. His face radiates with a higher light. Revelation of the higher, the light which is revealed on Shabbos, which is Midas Malchus Yisbarach. Vezehu truas melech boy, that's the second translation of the words, a truas melech boy, Loshen Reyes Vechiba, Shem is our friend. The Koya Bechinis Reyes Vechiba, this means our, his friendship and his love. Bechinis Reyes Vechiba, Shem is our friend. Line 228. Vegam, in addition, Aidezinim Takam Kaladinim Vagavuris, when Shabbos comes, when the king is on a higher level, and he's from a state of distance, loving, and embracing the judgment and the exactness during the week becomes sweetened as well. All week long the king is acting as your partner. And as a result you can't possibly be good enough. He's always making demands. So when Shabbos comes and he raises himself up, all of that is sweetened. Because on Shabbos is the revelation of the will of all wills. Like it says in the Kagavna, Vachaldinin Misabri Minova Khuli all judgment is removed. So you have Lahibit Avan Bayankiv, Ashemalikov im emphasis Nelakov, or true asmalak bay from the word judgment. And then you have Lahira Amal Biyisra, Hashemalakov im emphasis in the word Hashem, or through Asmalak Bay that Hashem is our friend. Line two thirty, Vizehu through Asmalak. Bay, the first translation of Truas Melech, which is talking about Neshama Yisrael called Yankiv in the weekdays, is that the meaning of Truas Kepira Sharish and Lashon Shviro Peter to break and to crumble. The Hainashim Esparadim, of the judgment, divide. 
when Shabbos comes, you have the second translation, which is second translation of it through us, that they're sweet. This is their sweetness. The effects are crumbling with his strength. One of the meanings behind the sound of Tru, which is of course a broken sound. On Rosh Hashanah, she left Father Gvoras Ayenus the Yitzchak is to to crumble the supernal strength of Yitzchak. Kmeisha Kosov is there a mayor, but true Peter Zeh and this idea that true doesn't mean Gvura, it means the shattering of Gvura. Who Ayde is Galus Bechinus Rive the Kol Rive and reveals the higher will of the Eibushter. Shuhin Yerei is Vechibu, which is the idea that Hashem is your friend and that Hashem loves you. So you have two translations in true as Melach to crush and to befriend and the Rebbe proposes that maybe they're not two translations they're the same thing in two different ways what's being crushed is the Gavura and when the Gavura is crushed what's revealed is the Shem is our friend so both translations add up to the same thing what's he saying here? apparently he's saying here it is a level where Yankov and Yisrael converge where the struggle and the peace where the fight and the light join and then the two ideas of trua, trua means to break, and trua that means to be friend, become one and the same thing. So this Maimir, which was all about davening for the first three classes, spoke about Yaakov Avdi, and in this, the fourth class, he explains the Pasuk. That's what we did. We were very careful not to revisit the last three classes. I didn't want to talk about davening tonight. We talked about the Pasuk, and the Pasuk only. And what do we know about the Pasuk? There's two types of relationships with Hashem. And I want to finish with a story. There is absolutely no point in telling the story other than, as the expression is, become the class you want to hear a story. I started with the Yaptarov, I'll finish with the Yaptarov. I explained to you that the Yaptarov was Marech Yom and Vishonim, had a long life. I also explained to you that he was a strong critic of the Derech of Chabad. The Alter Rebbe passed away in 1712, Tovkov Ayin Gimel. The Alter Rebbe passed away 15 years later in Tovkov Pezai in 1727, which was one year before the Holy Middle Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe's son and successor was Nestalev, but the Middle Rebbe was much younger. Now the Middle Rebbe had a policy that said that any Chassid could come to Lubavitch and stay as long as he wanted, on one condition that when he traveled home, he would stop in every city on the way home and Chazar Maimir to bring Chabad Chassidus to the population. There was a very famous Chassid named Moshe Yitzchak Miyasi who lived 110 years and you'll find out soon how and why. Yasi is in Romania, it's far away. Who used to travel to Lubavitch? It was Chabad Chassid. And on the way home, he stopped in every town to Chazar Chassidus, including Apt. He walked into the Abderov's base medish, which was a chutzpah. He sat down and he began to recite the Chabad Maimir. The Eilika Abder walked in and he sees a Lubavitcher Chosid sitting in his base medish, chazering a Lubavitcher Maimir. And he says, Hagam amalko imi In my base medish, you're chazering Chabad. You will not live 12 months. But Yitzhak Miyasi knew that when the Abderov says you won't live 12 months, you won't live 12 months. So instead of going home to Romania, he turned around and went back to Lubavitch. He came into the middle of Rebbe and said, Rebbe Ratavet, what should I do? I did what you said and I got into trouble. I went to Apt 
And like in every other sh- city, I went into the Bismedish and a Chazer of Maimed, after of caught me, and he said to me, Agam imi and he said, Kach Kach. So the Mitlada put his head down, and he thought for a moment, he raises up his head, and says in Yiddish, Du Vestem Iber Leben, you will survive him. He put his head down again, he raises it up a second time, and he says, Du Vestem Kinder Iber Leben, you'll survive his children. Then he puts his head down a third time, he raises it up, and he says, Du Vestem you will survive his grandchildren. And that's exactly what happened. He, he, he lived well over a hundred years, which was at, at that time an incredible amount of Arich Yom. So I started with the Helik Aptarov, so I'm finishing with the Aptarov from a little bit of a different perspective. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.